What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work you could find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's before the fight, the fight in question. UFC on ESPN Plus 29, UFC Fight Night. Uh, who knows what by now? I have it written down here, actually. Eh, fight Night 171. Wow, my, how the time flies. We're going to try to fly through this because I am recording this later than I'd like. Uh, instead of Tuesday afternoon, the 12th, it is Tuesday evening, the 12th, West Coast Pacific Time. Of course, the show will go down somewhere around 4 p.m. Pacific Time, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific Time between there. So, um, yeah, uh, with that being said, it's going to be expedited. Um, look at the clock. I'm going to aim to get this under a half hour, easily under a half hour. Also because uh, I didn't do a lot of tape study, um, so I'll be upfront about that. Already recapped UFC 249 on a previous show as well as on the YouTube channel. Thank you, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already, Daniel Tom MMA, um, and uh, you know share the podcast, five star ratings and reviews. And that is the last of the plugs because we gotta get going. Um, just gonna be technical details as per usual on this show, folks. I break down the cards from top to bottom, recap the picks and plays at the very end. If you're even uh, in even more of a rush, which again the time frame I'm giving you, I don't blame you. No hard feelings. Uh, not going to really be talking about things on the ground or the news or the happenings because that's not really my beat. And I am not on the ground, but my colleague John Morgan is. And actually, shouts to Submission Radio. Just listened to a really good interview um, they did there with my colleague John Morgan for anybody who wants to know more in regards to that. So, all right, without further ado, let's break down UFC on ESPN Plus 29. Check out my main event breakdown, which is out now at MMAJunkie.com. Also going to have one for the main event for Overeem Harris. And guys, I'll be doing that uh, Friday morning. It'll be more prepped, it'll be on time, and it'll give you more than 24 hours. So apologies here, and look forward to that there. Got the odds pulled up. We got Anthony Smith coming in as your favorite, minus 185, comeback on Glover to share a plus 160. Man, um... I picked Anthony Smith here, but the, the value is on the dog. This is kind of dog or pass, or perhaps another angle that I'll lead in with you guys here. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it, it it's a weird question because I, I see why Anthony Smith's the favorite, and I wouldn't hate him being a slight favorite, although I just feel like this fight is more of a pick em. But kind of like I said in the breakdown, maybe that's because, for those of you who follow me, I like both guys. Um, I like Anthony Smith. Uh yeah, yeah, um, he's you know one of the first people to shout out this podcast. Uh, so it was a little bit of endearment there. And Glover Teixeira, just one of the nicest guys in MMA, man. You watch him, you know, you can't condemn a fighter win, win or lose, but uh, how a fighter wins says a lot about him, especially if they're a poor character. Well, you're not going to find that from Glover. Uh, Glover's always checking on his opponent and whatnot. He is just a lovable guy. And um, shout out to uh, my friends over at the MMA Analysis Podcast. Uh, I'm sure they're on uh, the the dude Glover over there. Uh, they they all they popularize the term uh, Glover's Garage. You know, I always like I, I had this idea, and uh, I think it would be great if someone did it. Um, like you know, you do like those Abercrombie and Fitch T-shirts that are really terrible. That would be like Yacht Club, right? and they were just like churn out logo logo BS T-shirts here in America that were popular for a long stretch of time. 
like and they're just like generic shirts like instead of that like you do one for MMA but it's all like hardcore references like Glover's Garage established in 1986 you know like stuff like that um and um I haven't listened to those guys' breakdowns yet, but uh, I remember them saying on a previous show, you know, they always joke about Glover training in his garage. Uh, obviously, uh, he he's upgraded from that. He's got his own gym there in Danbury, Connecticut, uh, that I think he tries to get all the ESPN guys to go down and train. But regardless, nevertheless, kind of like I said in the last show, I bring that up because fighters that have their own gyms, that have their own facilities, um, are probably going to be in better shape if we're, you know, making a bet on it, which is kind of... Uh, what drives a lot of the traffic to these shows in particular, right? Where a lot of you degenerates are listening, which is fine. I've got I've got that in my blood too. Um, so those are things you really got to take into account. Whereas Anthony Smith, what's his training been like? You know, um, he's had like he's been fighting off home invaders. So I mean, he's got sparring partners in that sense. Jesus, why are you joking? And I'm not, I'm not trying to joke about that, by the way. I don't want to be like John Jones here and like, be a douchebag about it again. I'm an Anthony Smith fan. Glad his family's okay, not trying to make light of it. But, you know, you got to ask yourself the questions on how are these guys training, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things about Glover, we're going back to watch, even fights where he's being washed, where you're like, oh, he's old. Like, you look at it, at Corey Anderson, and, um, you know, whether or not you grade that before Corey reminded you of his chin problems again or not, and that's not a diss on Corey. I like Corey, I'm just, just, being, just saying, right? Um, it, it still doesn't look good on paper. But if you go back and look at that loss, that Deshera's his, his last loss, which was to Corey Anderson, um, you forget that he was training for a complete different opponent, albeit a wrestler in Latifi. Obviously, Latifi is low-volume and defensive wrestling as opposed to high-volume offensive wrestling. And don't get, me, get it twisted. Deshera, like with Carl Roberson, um, which was another two-week switch, he was able to win, albeit without adversity. So it's not that Glover can't win these fights or that so I'm trying to make an excuse to take away from Corey Anderson. But again, it's just something to remind yourself of. And when you watch the fight, like Glover's in it to the end, man. He's still keeping his pace. Um, he's still tagging Corey with good shots in the third round, even finishes with a guillotine, sweeps to get on top. Like, uh, you forget that. Like, Glover wasn't out of it. And then later on, you know, you could tell it really bothered him because he was calling for that fight again. He wants it back. And again, not to take any credit for uh, discredit, but um, you see that Glover Glover can wrestle, and he's going to have the wrestling advantage here against Smith. Uh, that is one of the more you know non-utilized, um, dare say vacant, albeit Smith's made you know notable improvements over the last years of his career. So I don't want to write him off there. But yes, Glover Teixeira should and will likely have the wrestling advantage in this fight. That's something to watch out for. But here's the thing: is that Tashira, it's not like a, you know, um, a death sentence. Now, you could look at it like, uh, well, he uh, he wasn't able to put away Nikita Krylov, who never goes to decision and went to decision for the first time. That is an anomaly, which is part maybe part of the reason why I'm picking a decision here. But I believe if you go back and watch that fight in the post-fight, I think Glover said he'd bet his friend a bottle of whiskey, he would get the submission. So when you're watching the fight... You're like, yeah, I can tell he's only doing like just enough ground and pound. Like perhaps when he flattens him out early in the first round, maybe Glover could have finished the fight there. Uh, but he was so hungry for that submission, he ended up chasing it for the rest of the fight. You get tunnel vision like you do with a knockout punch, right? So you kind of juggle it there. Um, you know, however, uh, as active as Glover is, you know, uh, as active as Glover is, um, it's more the submissions. 
which you know Smith has been harder to submit uh, submit in the last seven or eight years of his career. It's where he's really made strides in his jiu-jitsu or in his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And it's interesting because we established the wrestling should be in Glover's side, but as far as jiu-jitsu black belts go, Teixeira's been there longer, and I like his game more just because it's that old man game of cooking and catching to rear nakeds and head and arms, uh, which I love, uh, Glover does. Uh, however, ultimately, both guys really work well from that back mount. Both guys abuse fighters when they turtle and both guys do turtle now smith does it less but when smith does it he'll stay and hang out in that position there which is really dangerous uh however he does do things right to protect himself like it wasn't just a weird performance from jones which part of it certainly probably obviously was however smith was doing certain things right like two on one keeping extended which therein keeps jones extended which therein makes back takes and strikes and positional advances limited however I don't think he's going to be wanting to play that uh, game with Glover, who, finishing or not, gets after it in those positions. So it's going to be real interesting if Glover is able to take him down early and often. Um, and gas tanks, how that goes. You know, Smith's got has a better tank since he's moved up to 205. He's been able to stage multiple late comebacks in fights that he probably was losing by scorecards. However, even though he was able to stage comebacks and shows improvements, um, in his pacings, in comparison to some middleweight sample sizes, uh, especially when he was really gassing out and, 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 and didn't have certain issues figured out with himself, he still, even in these fights where he won and made comebacks, he looks you know tired and stuff, so you got to wonder, what's that going to be like going into 4-5? and five? And yeah, we did see him in 4-5 and five against Jones, but again, weird fight, lower pace, etc. So it's going to be, it's really deceptive who is actually going to have um, the advantage. Uh, however... Glover does have a propensity to cut because of the scar tissue age wear in miles. And uh, something that I think people have overplayed and I've defended Glover on. However, you cannot ignore the guy's been rocked even in victory a lot lately. And uh, a lot of those are in close quarters with elbows. Uh, and with the elbows plus the knees of Anthony Smith, you know, Glover's going to be dipping into some treacherous territory. So if this does go gritty and long like I suspect it to, I'm going to slightly side with Anthony Smith, like I said in the breakdown, over his prioritization of damage uh, and Glover's propensity to wear it. But in no way would I be surprised if Glover wins. Good luck to you if you bet him because that's where the value is on. However, my pick is Smith, and my play is actually kind of straight down the middle, a bit dangerous you like to sit back and not have money on the main event, but I didn't really like any other props, and again, I had a lack of study, so uh, forgive me there, but uh, I, I did play the over 2.5 at plus 110. I put my money where my mouth is as far as thinking this fight's going to be gritty. Again, I didn't really explain it here, I don't think, but I do it in my breakdown. I talked about it a bit in the recap. As we saw in UFC 249, folks, the crowdless interaction is kind of weird, and we're seeing guys, if anything, uh, you know, we're thinking maybe the shortened camps, more people were going to miss weight. That didn't happen. Uh, we, I think we only had one weight miss per card so far, which isn't bad, really, all things considering, folks. What what else did we speculate? Uh, people, if they weren't going to miss weight, regardless if they made weight or miss weight, they are probably going to be out of shape. It was different. Um, no, we didn't see that. In fact, even do-or-die fighters almost made it to the uh, scorecards, uh, rare trips to the scorecards, like Nico Price, if it wasn't for a doctor stoppage like we talked about. Or Justin Gaethje, again, who deserves credit, and again, his coach also deserves credit, like I talked about in the recap. However, why they deserve credit is because Justin was able to fight against type, and 
again, although he deserves all the credit for it, one can't help but wonder if you're being analytical, critical, and honest, but by wondering if the adrenaline induction from the crowd reaction not being there helped him fight against type. You didn't have the, the, the devil on his shoulder, and many of the fighters' shoulder, those do-or-die fighters that I always talk about. Perhaps that devil wasn't speaking as loud, and the angel, whether it was their conscience, the corner, or, as we heard, the commentary, made you much more conscious of what you were doing in there. Um, and fighters were there and able to grade themselves much better. They were able to even adjust to things commentators were able to say, and some of these were fighters that maybe they don't even adjust the best when their longtime corners give them adjustments, and here they are adjusting the commentators of all people, folks. So I guess the point is I'm trying to say is that I'm not trying to pretend to have the science locked down. However, most of our speculation was has already been proven wrong just shortly going into this crowdless fighting of affair and looking into the examples I just cited, I don't think it's all that crazy to suspect that we could see that trend um, happen, especially for these fighters that aren't used to the contender series or didn't come from that, which will have some contender series fighter fighters coming in. So that's why I think it's going to run long, folks. Next fight, we got Ovin St. Prue minus 135, Ben Rothwell plus 115. This this line is like boomeranging up and down this Rothwell line. He initially opened as the favorite, as I think he should have been, um, but it should be a fight that's on the avoid list. Uh, it's not on mine because the avoid list is overwhelmed because of my lack of study. I did do some very, 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 very light study on the rest of the main card just to get my picks in the other day and then quickly brushed up on some prelims and really didn't watch much footage at all, folks. Please, please. Please take my analysis with a grain of salt and don't follow me off any of these proverbial cliffs because I may have just played a heavyweight fight. Um, you guys know I'm a big fan of B Big Ben as an underdog. And although this trend of people moving up and doing well or more specifically um, athletic guys moving up to non-athletic divisions and doing well, albeit light heavyweight also being a stereotypically non-athletic division, but obviously open St. Prue, say what you will about his style is an athlete, right? Uh, football credentials and all, or without him, with or without him, he's an athlete. Uh, against Rothwell, who does not look like an athlete. And I love Big Ben. I'm just, let's just be real, right? I don't look like an athlete either. I'm not I'm not getting it twisted, folks. Believe me. Um, but, uh, but nevertheless, you can't judge a book by its cover. And both these guys have weird chokes. We got the Vaughn Pru uh, versus the... Uh, um, the bear trap joke, the ten finger guillotine, whatever he calls it. I forget. Oh, the what's it called? The bolo. Oh, people are gonna be shouting on the microphone now. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Apologies. Someone's gonna tweet it at me at Dan Tom MMA. It's been a while, folks. Ben Rothwell hasn't been fighting that much these past few years, as much as I like him. Um, he's got that weird style. Ben Rothwell still durable. Uh, Ovin St. Peru can still go out with some punches, and that's at light heavyweight. He'll be at heavyweight and a heavy hitting heavyweight amongst that. So you got to give that advantage to uh, Rothwell, even though OSP will have movement. Um, we'll be curious uh, if his southpaw body kicks will, uh, how they'll do against Big Ben, but we just see Big Ben eat everything to the body and head. Am I right? Um, you know, for the most part. So, um, and as far as front chokes, if, if Big Ben wants to get the takedown, I think he's going to be privy to that. He's got a underrated jujitsu understanding. And again, kind of like I say often, and many other people say often, is that 
if someone has a good offense with a certain move, chances are they have a good defense. And again, these are much different moves, but what is the common thread? Both men work well off of different sides of the front headlock. Uh, so I think they're going to understand each side pretty well. And with the gas tank slash not wanting to expend the gas tank or be uh, fearful of being on bottom of the other man, especially in Ovin St. Preux's case, doesn't want to be on the bottom of Big Ben. Um, perhaps it's a wash down there. But either way, as far as my play and pick goes, that's right. I'm going to jump off a cliff here. Don't follow me. But I put half a unit on Big Ben for that reason. You're going to throw plus money. Uh, my way, and that's no hate on OSP, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Next fight, Drew Dober, minus 120 versus Alexander uh, Hernandez, who uh, plus 100 as the underdog, and he looks like uh, Mark Wahlberg's character from Fear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually a fan of the brashness of Alexander Hernandez and, and storming onto the scene the way he did, but he really has some holes to fill in his game, and I didn't follow too much of what he was doing for this training camp. However, dealing with what everybody's doing, I'm not sure um, what he's made as far as improvements. And I'm not trying to hate on him when I when I say that, or when I say this, which is I don't think, and I don't think it's an unpopular opinion that he beat Masarandu, but I think he he he, he uh, should have lost that fight by decision. Um, maybe maybe giving him run one round. That's off memory, folks. Forgive me. I haven't went back to watch it. Uh, point is, he probably should be 2-1 against UFC Southpaws, but technically, Alexander Hernandez is 3-0 and against UFC Southpaws, and he's facing another. And Perhaps that's why the line is so tentative. However, um, I've always respected Drew Dober, whether I pick him or not. And even though I respect him, whether I pick him and I'm right or I don't pick him and I'm wrong, either way, I am seemingly always blown away especially as of late, especially since his loss to Olivier Aubin-Mercier. Uh, really impressed with Drew Dover coming into his own. You know, don't judge him by the Instagram, the pretty boy stuff, and this and that. Like, you know, it could be easy to accuse him of him having his head in the right place, but the dude is smart. He's got a, he seems like he's got a golden heart, a martial artist's heart. Uh, it's hard not to root for the guy whether you pick him or not. Um, he's durable as all hell, although he does have a propensity to cut. But with Alexander Hernandez not really having a volume game when a guy offers some palpable counters and power and is durable, which Masaranduba was, and albeit slightly different stylus, um, definitely a different stylus, but he checks all those same boxes Drew Dober is. You know, plus all the, again, you know, other intangibles. Um, I'm not sold that Hernandez is going to be able to hurt, knock out, or outscore Drew Dober on the feet. Drew Dober also has improved wrestling and counter-wrestling, and although this would be a good fight for Alexander Hernandez, change his levels, use his footwork, get in there. He's got a well-rounded game. He'll ride, he'll strike. He won't completely sell out for positions like the back mounts if it's not there, although Hernandez, uh, I think, probably has a much better ground game than most people give him credit for. Um, I don't think it's a game over ground game or anywhere near like, again, an Olivier Albin Mercier, albeit I know Alexander Hernandez beat him. I picked him to beat uh, OAM. No offense to OAM. Got love for OAM as well. Um, but I'm just I'm just saying I'm not discounting Hernandez's win over him when I say that. I'm just saying that even though Hernandez is better than people think on the ground, he's not a do you know, he's not a game over submission uh, threat. And I think that's more than fair to say. So for those reasons, unless he gets you know uh, gifted another scorecard, and again, I'm not trying to throw shade or hate toward Hernandez there, 
Um, he's a young kid. He's got a bright future. I'm really excited to see him grow. I just think Drew Dober is the rightful favorite, and seeing it this close, um, I wasn't initially going to play it, but I was going to put it in maybe a parlay. Spoiler alert, I didn't do any parlays uh, for this one because I didn't study it. I feel terrible even doing a free for fun, whatever you want to call it. Everything's free, <laughs> but you know what I mean, for fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was like, you know what? Minus 120 is pretty tempting, and if I'm right and as far as how I just laid it out, well... That's a low cost of entry to find out, right? So I'm going to find out, try to find out. I put a one unit at minus 120 on Drew Dober. All right, next fight, Ricky Simon Vato. Minus 150, Ray Borg plus 130. This one surprised me too. Wow, for a fight that I'm staying away from, I think like I'm, like I'm playing like the first four fights. This is insane. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty nuts. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to discount Ricky. Simon Vato. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I had a pretty prominent media member like uh, interviewing Ricky and told me aside. It's like <laughs> I had such a hard time keeping that out of my head. And that is my goal, folks, here at the Protecting Neck Podcast. Either to enlighten you with technical information or permanently poison your brain with the way I pronounce names. All right, but uh, Ray Borg, man, I've counted this guy uh, out, not to be a dick, obviously. How can you not root for Ray Borg and his kid and his family and all they've been through? But whether you're picking Ray Borg, not picking him, uh, counting him out or not counting him out, playing him or not playing him, I think one thing is, 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 is true is the guy is a proven winner, and... It comes down to a saying that I don't say enough that was taught to me, and I've said it on this podcast before, but again, I don't say enough, and that is scrambles win fights. And Ray Borg is a scrambler. He is one of the best scramblers, um, and that's why he wins fights. He is a winner. He is a scrambler. You know, if he misses weight, makes weight, uh, he fights through adversity, maybe, unless he's got glass in his eye from a Conor McGregor bus attack, he'll show up and fight through adversity. Uh, for the most part, or unless, or you know, unless his kids under health, you know, issues like this guy's been through the freaking ringer. Um, so it's at one thirty-five. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure he already made weight. As as I as I say this, can you remember the fight of the miss? Oh, it was Roberson. Um, so yeah, man, I don't see Ricky's. Uh, you know, Simon Vato. Uh, was he gonna do wrestle him and then get in the Borg's wor- uh, world? And I don't think he can. Um, Stop it or stop himself from doing that. Now, Ricky Simone it fought a really disciplined fight against Hani Yaya. Hey, everybody, it's me, Hani Yaya. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's... Um, uh, Hani Yaya doesn't have as good a wrestling as uh, Ray Borg. is not as consistent and persistent with his pressure. So you're going to put a plus 130 number on Ray Borg? I'll take it, man. Ray Borg is going hunting. He can go hunting for me for half a unit at plus 130. We'll recap these at the end, folks. Uh, Marvin Vittori, the Italian Stallion, minus 200 versus Carl Roberson, plus 170 to come back on Carl. Kind of surprised it's wide, especially with the weight miss, uh, being that weight missers tend to win. However, under pandemic rules, weight missers have lost bad, according to our one sample size thus far of Jeremy Stevens, which again, folks, told you don't be surprised um, if Calvin Cater adds to that very short list. Um is the same for, for Roberson? I don't know, man. This guy is a big athletic middleweight. He's got some underrated stuff in the clinch. However, I mean, clinch and wrestling, and once it gets to the ground with that Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt and that pressure game translates to the uh, pressure striking to pressure grappling, as in for Vittori, 
Hard to side with Roberson there, underrated ground game or not. Um, as far as Southpaw versus Southpaw matchups go, Jesus, I looked at this initially uh, when I was making these, and I don't have it uh, in front of me now. I'm going to pull it up. Uh, neither of them have too much experience uh, as I can remember. I got Carl Roberson. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of a uh, – what's his name? Kickboxer. Gosh, this is really bad. <laughs> Uh, outside of uh, Cesar Fajeda, he lost to him, albeit that was a um, a ground loss. I think Roman Kopilov was a southpaw, uh, so that's one and one. I can't remember if Wellington Terman was a southpaw or not. And um, and yeah, as far as MMA goes, so he's one and one. Whereas Marvin Vittori, hot-blooded Italians, man. Hey, I'm part Italian, so don't, don't get mad. Va bene, va bene, non tripicupare. Stigazzi. Uh, he's, oh, he beat Cesar Ferreira, that's right. 1 0 against a Southpaw. Omari, the Durka Durka. Uh, he is not a Southpaw, neither is Vitor Miranda. Neither is Carlos Jr. Yeah, he's only had the one Southpaw victory, but he went three rounds with Fajeda. So. Easy to see why he's favored if we're doing the old MMA math. I didn't watch footage. I was tempted to use Vittori as a parlay piece for what it's worth. Take that for what you will. Um, but I'll take Marvin Vittori to win a decision um, based on volume and uh, getting this fight to the ground. I don't think he gets the finish, though. Felipe Lins, heavyweight affair, minus 175 on the prelims, I believe this is. Uh, Andre Orlovsky, plus 155, come back on him. Uh, Felipe Lins coming in from uh, PFL, having some success there. Uh, just success up at heavyweight, uh, more more so. Um, I'm sure that trend, trend will continue here. I don't disagree that him being favored. Uh, although I didn't look at this matchup, I didn't do tape study, folks, and I'm an Arlovsky mark. He's one of the, uh, fun fact, Arlovsky, one of my first favorite fighters um, in MMA back in the day. Uh, coming off that KO loss, but, you know, he's had some recovery time. Had that thriller against Ben Rothwell. It was just watching Arlovsky against Harris, even, and just his, his chin's got nine freaking lives. Um, whereas Lenz... He's got the KO power. He's been KO'd three times himself, though. In fact, that are his only losses. I'm going to take Arlovsky here, heavyweight. I mean, um, this is on the avoid list, folks, but I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to sprinkle some Arlovsky just out of fandom. Don't follow me off that cliff. The pick, however, is Orlovsky. I will I will stick to that much. Um, he's been underrated before, and I've, I've proven that from picking him against Taito Ivasa, albeit that was wrong. We kind of, I think I proved that. Both Arlovsky was better than people thought, and you know nothing against Ty. I, 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 I love Ty. He's young. Ha happy to see him improve, but people needed to pump the brakes at that time with Ty. Um, and that's no hate on Ty. Big fan of his. Uh, Tiago Moises minus one twenty. Michael Johnson plus one hundred. Didn't watch this at all. Can't trust Johnson. This is on the avoids list for sure. However. Maybe it's a little bit of veteran bias, as Dan Tom often has and calls out on himself. So don't follow me off the cliff. I ain't going to play it. I mean it. It's on the avoid list for a reason. But I'm going to pick Johnson's southpaw stylings and experience to get the job done here. Um, if he can stay off the cage, I think 
if memory serves, Moises mainly gets his takedowns off the cage as far as that's where he's most effective. Johnson can play the footwork game um, and doesn't run into a head kick or isn't like completely shot as far as chin goes. I think he should either knock out or outpoint Moises. Um, we'll see, though. Again, I didn't do tape study, folks, so forgive me. I'm being honest. Uh, Sarge Eubanks, minus 365, probably going to be a popular piece against Sarah. More ass. Uh, plus 305, come back on, on, on Cheesecake, Sarah. Uh, we're going to take Sajara Eubanks. Um, you know, she's athletic, powerful on the feet, but people forget Sarge Eubanks uh, comes from uh, jiu-jitsu school, albeit she's no longer with uh, Lloyd Irvin. I'm pretty sure she's, she's still with Mark Henry in tow. Either way, she's got the ground chops that she should be able to stay out of, opportunistic arm bars. Although, uh, Sarah, more ass. Uh, always rooting for her, uh, especially, you know, working with the Extreme Couture uh, people. Uh, Dennis Davis, the Piranha, one of Extreme Couture's unsung heroes, doesn't get enough credit. Uh, has been working with her, I believe, the last couple camps. So I would be happy to see her get the upset. Um, I stayed away from the fight, but uh, hard not to favor you, Banks, there. Uh, Omar Morale. Omar. Omar. Dan, this is in the wire. Omar Morales, minus 175, uh, who earned A off the Contender Series for me, and then beat Brad Katona, which I completely f- have no memory of that fight, didn't go back to watch it, versus Gabriel Benitez. Perhaps due to the pandemic, uh, although he's not the smallest featherweight, although he won't be a big lightweight. So who knows what the motivation is here. But yes, moving up to 155, Gabriel Benitez plus 155 is the number coincidentally there. Um, I might play this. Again, I like Gabriel Benitez. He is probably uh, minus, uh, you know, uh, Chito Vera, who, you know, stormed with the rankings in the last three or four years of, of my personal favorites. Um, Gabriel Benitez is one of my favorite tough LATAM guys to come off that series. Uh, of course, he's a southpaw. You know, Dan Tom loves his southpaws. But not just a southpaw. One of the hardest kicks of Cordon Javier Mendez, and that includes another southpaw, Luke Rockholds. That's pretty goddamn impressive. Um, Morales, of course, had the leg kick TKO against Park, but I don't know his experience against Southpaws, much less high-level ones. Gabriel Benitez has been there against high-level guys. In fact, his only stoppage stoppages come to the higher-level guys. Uh, Youssef will be a higher-level guy if you don't think he is or aren't in the know already. And it's also hard, which makes it hard to judge hold that fight against him, which was his last fight. Of course, it was a round one KO loss. And then before that, we see him beat, or I should say, handle accordingly, Humberto Bendene, who, no offense, just shouldn't have been in the UFC, slam KOs him. So it's really hard to know. We've seen one round very briefly of Gabriel Benitez uh, in the last two years. It is now 2020. Um, so we haven't gotten decent sample sizes since 2017. So for that reason, uh, moving up in weight, the benefits of moving up in the weight for the chin um, um, Morales still much more untested. Gabriel Benitez, it's pandemic time, but he looks like he's still been training at AKA uh, with the crew up there. So I, plus one fifty five. I may play Benitez. It's not official written down. Not that it would matter because I would caution you to follow me off a cliff for a fight I didn't watch tape on. But boy, is that number tempting. We'll just say that. All right, next fight: Brian Kelleher, uh, plus one seventy underdog against Hunter Azur, minus two hundred. Another uh, Contender Series alum who I gave a good write-up for because of his Honey Badger-like stylings. Maybe he's the one that beat Brad Katona. And, oh, yeah, that's right. He's the one that beat Brad, Brad Katona. I'm sorry, folks. Omar Morales, um, has he fought since the Contender Series? 
Let me, as I'm correcting myself, I apologize, folks. Omar Antonio Morales Fayer. Uh, Dong Young Ma, that's right. He beat um, he beat Glenn from The Walking Dead, which, hey, again, that, that kind of strengthens my case, I think. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, we got uh, the, the Hunter Azur. Um, you know what? This one's on my avoid list because as much as I like Hunter Azur, agree with him to be favorite. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick him here. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, and I, maybe it's because I like Brian Kelleher. Uh, I, I like him before he was doing this media darling stuff, trying to do more media stuff. Uh, can't help but root for that guy. Um, so I hope he does well and scores the upset. That's on my avoid list, but but the pick is, is going to be Azur. All right, next fight. Uh, Chase Sherman, minus 150. Last fight, I should say. Chase Sherman, minus 157. Uh, welcoming newcomer from Texas. Ike Velanueva, plus 137. I'll be honest, uh, I didn't watch tape for this fight. 33 minutes. Okay, I went over. Sorry, folks. I didn't watch tape for this fight, although I, I even had people offering me tape on Ike. Um, by the way, hey, shout out to my, my, my dude Aaron from Texas. I miss Junkie Nation uh, as far as, I mean, I'm part of Junkie Nation. But I just miss the uh, Junkie Radio sect of it. Love you guys. I know you all still listen. Just, just saying I miss you. That's all. And Aaron recently reached out, so I wanted to give him a shout. Uh, I know nothing. Chase Sherman has gotten two wins. Uh, although he's been like two and one in bare knuckle boxing, both these guys are do or die guys. Villanueva has been like TKO'd a bunch. However, if you look at it, most of his losses are actually to like somewhat named fighters at heavyweight. Take that for what you will. Um, but also, I believe like you got to go back like nine years plus for his TKO losses. He hasn't lost by TKO in like the last eight or nine years for whatever that's worth. Um, so he might be 36, but again, in this division, he's got more miles, but. I think that's more lessons learned. Um, he hasn't been TKO'd in a while. Where as Sherman, as he got deeper in, we saw more TKOs recently, both MMA and bare knuckle. Um, and it's a fun style. I'm not trying to hate on Chase Sherman by any means. But I'll actually go ahead and take the newcomer here. This reminds me a lot of the Rashad Coulter fight, which, by the way, uh, Ike beat Coulter as well as other UFC vets. Uh, I don't have off the top of my head right now. Uh, coming off that Coulter win, but I think I even took Coulter for that that Homer Simpson Tatum esque fight. Maybe we get the same thing here, but uh, give me the dog. But this is for sure on the avoid list. Um, all right, folks, uh, gonna re- recap here from top to bottom. Taking Anthony Smith over Glover the Lover Teixeira, although that's that's dog or pass all day, folks. Uh, taking Ben Rothwell over Oban St. Pru. Taking. Drew Dober over Alexander Hernandez. Taking Ray Borg over Ricky Simon Vato. Taking Marvin Vittori over Carl Roberson. Taking Andre Orlovsky over Felipe Lenz. Taking Michael Johnson, my main man, over Tiago Moises Kaufman. Taking Sarge Eubanks over Sarah Morales. Taking Omar Morales over Gabriel Benitez. Taking Hunter Azur. Uh, a.k.a. Uh, Brian Butler, MMA manager, uh, doppelganger, over Brian Kelleher, who I'm wishing the best, and taking Ike Villanueva, an UFC newcomer, over Chase Sherman. No parlays, although I don't blame you for using Vittori as a parlay piece. Uh, took a straight shot on the dog Rothwell, plus 115 at half a unit. Took a straight shot on the dog Borg at plus 130 for half a unit. Balanced it out with a straight Chalk play on Dober for the low entry price 
of minus 120 at one unit may or may not play Benitez at plus 155. I'll be looking at it. The only prop I ended up playing was putting my money where my mouth is. I don't suggest you followed me off the cliff. But I took a shot that Smith and Teixeira goes over 2.5 at plus 110 for half a unit. Although it should all be on the avoid list coming from my mouth with my, again, admitted lack of study on this card, folks. Take it with the salt. Uh, outside of the top fights, um, I, I, on my avoid list is Linz Arlovsky for sure, Sherman Villanueva, Azur Kelleher, and Johnson Moises. All right, thank you, folks. Please uh, share uh, if you can. We'll be back. You'll have much more time to share and listen. Going to break it down Friday morning after the weigh-ins for Overeem Harris. That that card, of course, UFC on ESPN 8. Thank you for tuning into this breakdown, albeit only getting it to you and recording it the night before for USPN on ESPN Plus 29. Either way, if you're tuning into Jacksonville, hopefully you enjoy the fights. Hopefully you're staying healthy. Wash your hands and always protect your neck.